Hello and welcome to Strategy and Soul. This is the podcast for ambitious female entrepreneurs that want to talk more about blending spirituality with strategy for business growth. I'm your host, Danica Rose Creative, and I'm so excited to bring to you guests weekly from all over the world, as well as solo episodes and snack pod episodes to feed your soul in less than 10 minutes. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode and podcast of Strategy and Soul. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, you might be listening on whatever platform, we are here to offer you a maximum amount of value in around a 30 to 40 minute time slot. So who knows, there are other episodes you can listen to as well that are just me talking about strategy, business, intuition, marketing, there's tons of topics and you'll find 10 minute episodes and there's a few that are also a bit more lengthy. But today, this is another guest episode and these have been some of the favorite ones. They're lighting me up like you won't believe. Emily Ann Brandt is one of my... I guess like idols in the coaching industry right now, I came across her page at just a really random and pivotal moment in my business. I must say, I have just gone full-time in 2022 with my coaching business that I've been doing for like the last 10 years on and off between parenting and running my own businesses and doing all these things. So Um, I guess like the tone of the conversation is all about introducing Emily as the expert in Indigenous education. She is an author, she's a mentor, and she's a speaker. She's done lots of interviews as well, which also excites me because the experience there is going to shine through. I'm so happy. And I just, I'd love you to do a bit more of an introduction about like what's your tagline what exactly are you doing in this beautiful world that we live in Mm, well thank you so much for that introduction hello everybody um so yeah my name's Emily Ann Brandt I define myself as an author speaker and mentor and what I'm doing right now is focusing on decolonizing manifestation spirituality success business the coaching industry and really the universe, the universe. <laughs> I love it yes <laughs> you I got get, this sis. overwhelmed yeah thinking about how much we all and everything needs to be decolonized that I decided to start with my favorite place in the universe which is the world of personal development and business mm-hmm. and coaching and entrepreneurship so it's like let me start with my little corner of the world let me decolonize manifestation spirituality success all of it And um, at the same time, so I always say there's two sides to the coin of my work. On one hand, I work with um, white leaders, mentors, coaches, people with influence, um, which is everyone. If you're (laughs) a white person, you have privilege and you have influence and your voice carries more weight. Yeah, Um, I love that. To work with leaders to help them decolonize their business or their ways. And then on the other side, I work directly with Indigenous um, women and and femme and people in the global majority, which is a term to replace, um, you know, the term BIPOC, like Black Indigenous people of color or people of color, because in fact, we actually make up more than 80% of the global population. So I work with the global majority directly to help people heal from the harmful effects of colonization and really step 
into their power, into their voice, into their gifts, into abundance so they can shine and, mm. and rise up. So it's like manifestation and success for the global majority and really just dreaming up this, this new earth where we truly do all get to, you know, rebalance the scales and rise together. And it, it benefits all of us when we do this work. It's really about unity is what I hear. And whenever I've read your posts and listened to your lives, because you do frequently, you really show up. And I think there's so much to be said about that. And I just wanted to compliment you on it. I think it's very ambitious what you're doing. It's not impossible. And like, as you said previously, Emily and I have had a conversation briefly about a, an event that she ran in October, which is still available for sale as a replay. And at this particular event, it actually sold out. There was a lot of interest that was gained just by Emily sharing her truth and really speaking into the decolonization of the coaching industry in particular. That's what that um, particular yeah. seminar was aimed at. And when she did this masterclass seminar and like educated people on decolonization and the definitions and what to say instead, I guess I wanted you to take like, if I'm not overstepping the mark, I want you to give us a little snippet of what really was offered up because when there's, it's like um, bees to, to a flower, you know? And I think that Emily's the flower guys <laughs> and we're all these little buzzing bees going, where are we going? Like we need some queen to like lead us in this little bit where we're all feeling a bit lost. We want to make the honey baby. So I want you to give us some honey right now. Like wh where are we going with this? <laughs> what's what's going to come out of this type of a conversation when we can start opening up the, the limiting beliefs and the ideas that we have around, around like you said, people of color, black indigenous, like what are the other terms that we can use and, and the percentage? I, I have so many questions, guys. Oh, I'm really excited. I'm so fired up about this conversation, but what's the percentage of the global majority? Like where are the numbers at? Are you like, oh my God, you talk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with a round table. So Thanks. you mentioned the round table. That was <laughs> That was, yeah, that was my first event doing this type of work. As I was just telling you before we hit record, like this was the first thing, first offer I put out there um, back in October, 2022 to have a radically honest and brave conversation with white specifically. It was aimed for white female coaches and leaders, business owners, right? Entrepreneurs. But I also invited people who are Indigenous, people who are Black, Brown, Asian, South Asian, the global majority, um, to come and sit in as well. And, and there was no fee for them to join. And there was a low, you know, a low cost for um, aspiring allies, let's call them, who want to know, like, I don't know what I, what I don't know. How do I make my business mm. more welcoming, more safe, more supportive? And I wanted people of the global majority to also be there for this conversation so that they could weigh in in the chat box if they wanted to, or they could just feel the validation of me speaking truths that they've been feeling, but maybe didn't feel safe to speak out on, which is often the case. And you're Indigenous yourself. I'm Indigenous mm -hmm. myself. And I'm also like, I present to the world as white and what we call white passing. And my mother is European settler ancestry. So I'm half white as well. And I think that this is, this is a privilege that I frequently acknowledge. Um, and this is also, this is a whole other topic, but this is something that um, 
I feel like allows white women to see themselves in me and connect with me more on that level, mm -hmm. which is of course a privilege because they're more likely to listen to me or be influenced by me versus hearing it from a, a you know, a black or brown skinned woman. Yeah. And, and I so think just want to talk a little bit about that resistance there because it, it does look sometimes like when a man is trying to educate a woman on a topic and then they're like, yeah, well, how would he even know? Because he's not a woman or vice versa. It's just another general example that I'm using just so that we can connect the dots a little bit more in a simplified way. And sometimes in society, there are resistances and they might be like, well, you're not black, so you can't say that to me. And then the other person's like, well, you're not white, so you're not allowed to say that to me. And we've got all these rules that have been created by society over centuries even. And these things that are built into our DNA to have, you know, alarm systems going off saying that person doesn't look like me, so I'm not going to receive that. And and just opening up that communication, which you did as you were explaining in your talk. And it's usually unconscious, right? Or subconscious, like you don't know why you're connecting with me more. But once I pointed out, most people are willing to go, oh my gosh, yeah, you're totally right. Like it's totally why I connect with you. And like, even the way you speak, it feels more close to the way I speak. So I feel like it's my responsibility to use that influence and that connection that I have with white women to to introduce them to this work. And I do it from a place of compassion and grace because I, I get it. I'm also, white passing also can never, you know, understand what it's like to be in a black or brown body. I also worry sometimes that I'm gonna say the wrong thing. I also have been like the spiritually bypassing coach that was brought up in this industry, like so many of us to teach mm -hmm. like, oh, we're all, you know, we all have equal access to personal power. We all have minds, we all have the choice of mindset. Like we, there was a lot of kind of spiritually bypassing things that don't leave space. Interesting. Very real pain of indigenous black and brown people. And it actually shames us for, um, you know, having that pain and not being able to just tap into this like entitlement and sense of worth as quickly as our white peers can do because entitlement is literally in their DNA which is one of the things I talked about in the round table. So yeah. going back to like, what was the round table? It was this honest conversation for us to gather around, talk about how colonization does show up in this, in the industry, in the coaching industry and steps. And so we started with defining some key terms, which we can get into as well. Like what even do I mean colonization? What's the decolonization? What's mm. global? We defined all of that. And then we went into how does it show up in coaching specifically um, and I think why this event worked so well is because it was so specific, but I also feel like a lot of people took it and they were like, every, I don't care if you have a business or a coaching business or not, like everyone needs to watch this because it's so applicable to all of life. Um, but then I went into, so how it shows up in coaching and then how you can take tangible steps and what you can actually do to start to decolonize your mindset right? The ideas you can unlearn and then relearn that we all need to unlearn and relearn because we've been, mm. all, it's been baked into all of us. Yeah. And then your words, like changing the words you speak and then your actions that you can take because decolonization is those three pieces. It's mindset, words, actions. That's what's at the round table. And then we had a panel, we had like a Q&A panel with um, other people in the industry that are in the global majority from different backgrounds that we could get not just the indigenous, like my perspective, but other perspectives too. And 
yeah, it was just super well, well received and I'm excited to keep doing more events like that. Yeah, it's so amazing. And I'd love you to define that, it, the decolonization, the term yeah. itself and your perception. And and as everyone is aware or you may not be aware, when people are speaking from truth, that's their truth. And, of course, use your own discernment. Go to Emily's page, read through it, check, feel where it sits in your body. Nothing that anyone ever says is a total fact. So it's always nice to just have that awareness as well and be like, you know what, this is their lived in experience. So if you're feeling some resistance or it might be triggering something in you, or you're like, nah, that's totally not me. This isn't relevant. Like I urge you lean in. That's when you've got to lean in. I want you to get closer to the topic. If you, if you're going, oh, I don't really understand all of these terms. It could be like a bit of, you know, cognitive dissonance at play. It's not going to fit into your brain when you've got all of those conditionings plugged in, which is what Emily and I are kind of explaining if you're not unplugging something and you're not being receptive and we're just sitting in that space of oh I'm not really sure and I know I'm being quite direct and and fairly masculine with the directedness of what I'm saying and I'm being a little bit blunt I think that balance really needs to be there because it's such a huge and deep and drawn out topic and I feel privileged that I've been able to use my platform to shed some light on that. So getting into a few definitions, I think will be very beneficial for everyone that's listening. I would absolutely love for you to share and talk a bit again about that percentage on, and the numbers. And if you have any statistics that you can share about global majority, because that is a pressing question of my own. And I have mm. traveled a lot, like I've traveled internationally and I can totally understand even as a white woman, which I think that's kind of another segue, but I'll say this first as someone that has traveled and has seen poverty and has seen racism and has lived in racism and has had, you know, parts and not proud of it, but parts of myself that at times just was totally unaware of where I was sitting years ago. But mm -hmm. as we grow and as we evolve, like you said, it's very closely linked to this mindset and the personal development, the words that we're using, education. If we don't have knowledge, then it's just that gap to fill, which is what Emily helps with. And the other part that I wanted to say was having traveled, even from my perspective, I can kind of understand it to a, a different depth. I can say, well, actually, even if you wanted to change your mindset, you're only earning 50 cents. You know, you're only earning one US dollar a, a week. So, you know, like we're really talking about such huge differences. And then even in the online space, I'll just touch on this slightly because I think it's also important. We're talking about outsourcing to people overseas, in particular Southeast Asia, is quite a, a prominent area of where people will outsource for VAs and digital content, website creation, and all of the rest of it. And even though they're very well paid in their own currency based on conversion rates, we're still in a position that we're charging, you know, a lot of money and then we're not passing that on because why? Oh, well, they live in Asia. So once it's converted, they're actually rich in their own community. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know what, like for, for me, that's another bit of a 
a dirty part and a dark part of the conversation to have. It doesn't feel nice rolling off my tongue because as everyone knows, authenticity, transparency, integrity, these are very, very high values with the way that I live and the way that I do my business. So I'm also really, really, really passionate about keeping money within my own country. Like I'm Australian. I love to hire Aussies. I want to support especially working mums because we have it rough here. And imagine Mm -hmm. how rough you'd have it if you didn't have any food to put on your table because you were only earning 50 cents a day. So that's where mindset is not really something that they're going to be able to just automatically receive these 10K months and they're going to automatically be able to start a business just because, because they want to and because they've changed their mind and they've made the decision and they're taking aligned action. These are all things that I preach as well, but it doesn't actually apply to the global majority. Yeah, it doesn't apply in the exact same way. Like there's layers that need to be Mm. healed first and it goes beyond even the financial piece, which is a huge piece because we still have so 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 much um, like the wage gap is so real we still have such a huge imbalance and um you know everyone is kind of aware that there's uh pretty aware and it's talked about that there's a wage gap between men and women but even amongst indigenous and latina and black women versus white women at least here in north america it's like we are earning 50 to 60 cents for every 80 cents that white women are earning for the same job And how does that even happen? I just, because here we have fairly good, like I would say, and I, and if, if I'm wrong, anybody correct me, send me a DM and let me know. I'm totally open to whatever information you have. If you've got information, if you have opinions, I'll, I'll discern for myself, but I love information. I love facts in Australia. We have like a minimum wage. So there's not a lot of negotiation that can go on and not a lot of people can be taking advantage of indigenous Australians. And when they step into a workplace, in fact, some places here, they actually have extra affordability in the way that the system is set up here because the government has made such a conceited effort to make sure that they're not disadvantaged in any way. And sometimes that can be a little bit triggering for the white community here. We have that too, but there's still, there's still things that people don't see that are happening all the time. Like we have a minimum wage too. We have um, funding for Indigenous people to get their education paid for. We have funding for all kinds of programs and um, it's it's also accessible to white people if they're looking in different areas like is that something that the government is still funding but it might not be labeled the same thing obviously but like there would still be affordability for that like here we have TAFE example and depending on what course you choose it doesn't matter what color you are you're still able to and willing if you're willing then you're allowed to go and, and take that and receive that funding so Is that true for North America? Um, No, like with education specifically, we have student loans and things like that. Um, So it is very like upsetting and triggering for non-Indigenous people. They think it's unfair. Like why do Indigenous, we think, they think we get everything for free, but the reality, like it sounds nice, but the reality of those funding programs is like the funding is always short. Not everyone can get, actually get off the wait list, can get the funding. Um, not everyone can afford to even leave their communities, which are usually very, very isolated, like the 
the reserves. Um, not everyone can afford to or has the even like the emotional capacity and strength to leave their communities, which is where a lot of times to these programs that sound so wonderful and great, like food, you know, assistance with food supplies and maybe some grocery programs or um, some assistance for single mothers, like these only exist if you stay on the reserve, which is where the government would like indigenous people to stay and stay away from, um, you know, places where there's more opportunities, there's more job opportunities. And a lot of times indigenous people do have to leave. We like I had to leave my reserve for higher education and for for work. There's not like reserves are purposely remote. So there's not a lot of job opportunity. Um, but that's where these programs and resources are. So it's kind of like a power, it's a power thing. It's a power it's dynamic. So political. My goodness me. Want you and then we'll Ooh. give you tickets or whatever, right? This so, also does happen here in Australia, yeah. I must say. And it doesn't only apply to people of color. Mm -hmm. It actually doesn't, but definitely there's still that whole this is the conditions when these conditions are met and you're doing as we request then you'll get this and you'll get that so I'm I would say it sounds like it's actually a lot more of a gap in America than than what what I'm hearing anyway and from my knowledge of Australia again if you have information send it my way I'm always open to learning and yeah speak more about that decolonization and the definition of it how can we as just women in business and female entrepreneurs and the listeners apply this to their businesses and environments and relationships and networking yeah um I will just say quickly before we mm. go into that I do work with um so in my day job I work in indigenous health research and a lot of times we collaborate with Australian uh they call themselves Aboriginal, mm -hmm. um, which is a term we used to use, and then we switched to Indigenous. I'm actually not entirely sure why, but anyways, we work with Aboriginal um, Australians, and um, we they the, they do say that they have a lot of similar issues, at, specifically with the healthcare system, like communities being too remote and mothers not being able to get proper, you know, birthing support and having definitely. To drop miles to give her like they, there's a lot of problems that are that's similar. a huge topic for me <laughs> yeah so there is some similarities for sure but anyway yes um, I'll send you the name of this this one group that we worked with and maybe you can find some good information that would be amazing you. thank you uh, yeah so anyways back to decolonization so first like let's define colonization because decolonization just means undoing the process of colonization and I used to be intimidated by this term. I used to hear it like thrown around all the time, almost like a metaphor. It seems like a lot of people are using it, um, but no one actually knows how to quite define like what will it look like when we've achieved decolonization. And mm -hmm. the truth is still nobody has that exact answer, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't work towards it anyways. Yeah, um, because I totally agree, yeah. Yeah, totally. Because colonization in, in basic terms, it's control and power by one group of people over all others, right? Particularly the indigenous peoples of a land that um, has been like conquered and exploited. Um, and the rationale for this taking of the land and this cruel power imbalance was racism. It was this idea that, well, we are the superior race, us like colonizers, European settlers, 
and anyone else is like less than human and we can just use their land and their resources and their people, even their bodies for our own use, right? And we see like Africans being brought over and used for slave, like slavery, and then indigenous people not being forced to go to these residential schools where um, they were trained in assimilating and basically like our native languages were beaten out of us. We yeah. were uh, yeah, mm -hmm. like, we were forbidden from practicing our own, um, our own culture, our own language, our own songs, our own ceremonies, all of it was like demonized. And yeah. And in Australia, I just want to touch on Aboriginals. If you need to even just as a starting point, something that's very prominent in the media and education and information that's out there, as, as simple as checking out the stolen generation. There's an entire generation that was near on wiped out where yeah the Aboriginal babies were just completely removed. And then they tried to whitewash them by trying to get rid of like the creamies. And they had like all these, and again, creamies, what a derogatory, disgusting way. I'm just going to like, uh, this is where I get really passionate because as a child growing up in the, in the state education system in Australia, the way that they even educated us and indoctrinated us about what actually happened with our colonization yeah. You know, and I'm talking 15, 20 years ago when I was in school, it was misinformation. Yeah. It was misinformation because they needed to continue this narrative that that was necessary and that it had to happen and that, and that you know, again, the people of colour were less than, the Aboriginals were less than, they had to be out of the society. They weren't even allowed to, up until sometime in the late 1960s here, allowed to vote. That's yeah, when my mother was born. Like, this is not um, history, guys. This yeah. is not the dinosaur ages that we're talking about. And I don't, I am like, I'm getting a bit fired up here because I really want to make a point that we're just talking about one to two generations before. And Emily, I'm not sure how old you are. I'm only in my 30s right now. I just, I'm just 30. I'm a baby. Um, so I'm 31 and I was born in 1991, but the last residential school in Canada, it closed in 1996. So I was five. Wow. So I could, I, I lived on a reserve. That's where I grew up. If I was on the wrong reserve at the wrong time, I could have been a residential school survivor. Like that's how recent it is. Right. And um, just gives me chills. Yeah, it's it's and also I wanted to say too about colonization is I think people think of it as this like moment in history or an act an event in history and it's not it's a process and it's ongoing it's still happening mm -hmm. right we are all still being assimilated and and our our like our whole culture is being taught that essentially like one way one culture one way of being is the dominant the default the right way and everything else is less than or everything else is bad and unwanted. Oh, it's too and different. Yeah, and they put that negative connotation on all of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the rationale was like, the belief is that, you know, white, the European settlers are physically, culturally, um, economically, intellectually, like spiritually, politically superior, that their way of being is great. And you nailed it when you said like our education, it was misinformation and it yeah. really was even... I went to a school on a First Nations reserve and even the history that I learned about residential schools and colonization was very like watered down 
very whitewashed. I only discovered the real truth on my own later, writing a paper about residential schools in college. I was like, what? How were we not taught this? And I this? quickly, I really quickly want to say this as well, like, and, and I know it's a bit, it might be a little bit spicy, right? But I, I really am so passionate about it. If you were going to learn about, let's just, you know, I'm going to go the whole way. We're going to learn about yoga. So we're going to go to a yogi. Okay. And we want to learn about religion. We want to learn about Catholicism. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we go to see a priest. All right. And we want to learn about, you know, any other religion. So we're going to go to the expert in that religion. We're not going to go and say to someone that isn't actually in the religion, hey, can you teach me everything you know about that religion? Can you teach me everything you know about business, example, and they've never owned a business? So then what are they teaching if they're not an expert in what they're doing? So then who better to ask than someone that was raised as an Indigenous human being, as someone that was born here of pure blood on their land and they all owned it, the history was there, the ceremony was there, the language was there. In Australia, there's over 500 Aboriginal languages. There's over 500 countries that we have here within our one makeup. And if we're acknowledging that, like the land that we're on, and that's even a bit triggering for some people when they introduce a ceremony or, and I could have even done it on every single episode of my podcast, you know, it's a choice not to, by the way, like I am making a conscious choice not to do that. And I'll, and you can unpack this a little bit with me if you'd like to, Emily, but I believe that when we are pointing it out constantly, even though it is a theme and I, I would love some, like, you know, it might be a resistance of mine that I'm not doing that. But I think that sometimes that actually does separate it a bit more to acknowledge it because within my own community, I am responsible for having people of color and indigenous people involved within my community. So I don't see it as I need to acknowledge the land that I'm on. What's your opinion about that as a, as a white privileged woman sitting here right now saying, well, I'm not going to acknowledge the land that I'm on, on every single podcast episode, mm. being really vulnerable I mean, here, but go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> Live mentorship. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll pay you later. <laughs> I mean, every podcast episode is a little bit, it's a lot like right it would take up a, a bulk of the time you uh, you have other introdu introductions to make and who knows your audience may is possibly global when Definitely. you're on a podcast right yeah. so I don't know that it, you need a land acknowledgement on a podcast however there is importance in acknowledging the land that you're on and even acknowledging the land that you're on and that it's like stolen land and you're a guest on this land and you want to honor the people who are the original caretakers of the land who know how to respect and be at one with the land. Like it isn't, it is really important. And acknowledging it is like somebody said, it's like, um, it's like saying, it's like stealing someone's house, banishing them to live in the basement, but you take the rest of the house. And then one, and they're like locked up in the basement and you're just benefiting from their whole house. And then one day you're like, okay, I feel, I'm feeling kind of bad. So every day I'm going to say like, I acknowledge that this is not my house. 
but I'm still, I'm not going to give it back to you. I'm still going to keep you in the basement and I'm going to keep the good parts of the house. Like, I think like, I'm going to vomit. Like, what's the point? What's of the the point? But I also, and so that's some people's opinions, but I, and, and some people think like, yeah. It's such a crazy, that's like, such a crazy analogy. Like I just need to, I need to sit with that after this episode. And I'm like tripping. Wow. I never like had a, a perspective like that because, and it, it's a bit gross. Like, and it is a bit like, and I'll just touch on again. I'm Australian. Of course I'm in Australia. I'm going to talk about it again. I'm passionate about it, but what is the point in the government just apologizing and then not making any actual political changes and and introducing new bills and putting, making sure that the global majority are represented in parliament house, like, come on. Exactly. It's like empty. If it's not followed by action, then it's just empty words and empty um, yeah, empty words, like what's the point, right? So that's mm. what we are calling for here in Canada. And there's a movement called Land Back and you'll see a lot of indigenous people wearing t-shirts and earrings and things that say Land Back. And I think like settlers see that and they're like, but where will we go if we give you the land back? Like, what about us? Like so self-centering, mm. what about us? But it's not like, we wanna kick out all of the Europeans and just like completely, it's more about returning the land to no one ever owned the land indigenous people are not about ownership of land it's mm-hmm. about the land is a gift mother earth is a gift for all of us and we all have a responsibility to take care of it and to give back and to appreciate the gifts that she gives us and use them like to share not yeah not and a lot of the these. ceremony and the dream time stories and all of that it's all about appreciation of what mother nature has been providing whether that be the animals even in dream time stories there's a lot of spirit animals that are used and and the, most of those stories are revolved around nature like the water and the snakes and and how the creation came about and the you know the heart of Australia Uluru all of these things have such a massive impact on a culture and on a family of Indigenous people like in in it and then when I say family I mean in the nation the nation of all of the nations and not being allowed to have ceremony on their sacred land that they're worshiping the land they're being grateful for the land they're pouring back into it that's what a lot of the ceremonies that I've ever seen and that have been publicized I have attended a sacred ceremony myself where we did a bit of a smoking out and a few other things and it was just incredible to see the depth of connection it's very spiritual yeah yeah very spiritual and like those are things that were demonized and literally all we were doing all you know my ancestors were doing was practicing gratitude for the land practicing gratitude for each other practicing gratitude for the water like that's what our songs are all about that's what our ceremonies are all about and like tending to one another in community um whereas now in this colonized society that the settlers deemed was a better way of life and a lot of people still have that mentality like well in the end, it was all for the best because like we did bring a better way of life to the country. And like and that is itself is so it's a bit like, subjective, don't you think? Like if so... if they're happy and that means that everyone else has to agree, again, like that's their truth and that's their lived in experience. But what about other people's truth and how they actually think is a better way? It's really like again, separation based on judgment. And that's the, that's the thing that colonization brought is that separation is like, Mm. and that like, 
tox the toxic individualism that we see and the capitalism that we see where everything's like every person for themselves and go, go, yeah. go and hustle, hustle, hustle. And nobody, it's not really working anymore for anyone because if you go, even like Europeans, if you go way, way, way back in your ancestry, all of us originally lived in ways where community was everything. Yeah. Like community was everything, taking care of each other, taking care of the land. And that's what it meant to like serve God or serve creator Mm-hmm. um and you fulfill your human role here but we've gotten so far away from that and even gardening and filling your belly like it just reminds yeah. me of like the you know the women that were out there and the men are hunting and the the women are foraging and it it's not like oh we're trying to bring back the stone age or something like that like it's just it goes way beyond that because it's such a it's really about connection to self when we're connected to earth and we're connected to source. When we connect to source energy and we connect to the energy of the land and we connect to the nature. And again, if you're going to go and speak to someone to learn something, you need to be addressing experts. You need to be speaking to the experts. So who better to talk to about the sacredness and connection of the land than people whose DNA is literally built from that sacredness of the land. Like, (laughs) it just blows my mind. It's such a huge topic. There's so many things to unpack. And do you have, like, I think it'd be great if you had, like, a little spiel or a bit of a speechy part about how can we apply this to it? How can we make this relevant? How do we bring awareness? What can we do in a practical sense, to bring this into our communities? So number one is always education. So doing your own learning from Indigenous people or Aboriginal people, um, taking like proven, um, you know, results-based anti-racism trainings run by Indigenous people or Aboriginal people, or if you want to also, which I encourage you, of course, to study um, you know, anti-racism from black leaders as well and brown leaders as well. Um, and I think getting as many perspectives in as you can and and just being willing to lean in even when it's uncomfortable, realize the value of investing in this work, paying people for this work because unfortunately, it wasn't taught to us in our schools in our in our system. The government's certainly not going to educate you on this one day. <laughs> um, why would they expose all mm. the horrible? they've done and continue to do um so you need to yeah you need to go to the sources you need to lean in you need to join spaces where you maybe previously didn't feel comfortable joining or um yeah doing like truly doing the educational work is where it all starts and then from there um it's going to be different depending on what your job is what your lifestyle is but like bring it into everything you do, bring it into your interpersonal relationships, speak out when you see something um, wrong that's happening in, in our hospitals, in our, cause it's everywhere. It's in the workplace. It's in our hospitals, it's in our police system, like be active and contact your local members of parliament and ask them what they're doing. Um, like here in Canada, we have a, we have a truth and reconciliation, like recommendation calls to action. There's there's 94 calls to action. This was laid out for the government, for everyone in 2015. It is now 2020. It's so recent. And, yeah. Yeah. But like they've had this for seven years and only I think 13 of those 94 calls to action 
have been put into motion. So not it's not even like, a third. Not even not a like, third. Yeah, it's not even <laughs> third. And it's not like they can say, we don't know what to do. Like you've had it laid out for you for seven years. So so for people in Canada, it's like emailing your MP, your members of parliament, right? Your MPs and saying, what are you doing to move these calls to action forward? Because they're laid out for people at every level. It's like we call on the government for this. We call on businesses for this. We call on schools for this. And so it's very clearly defined. And yet there's very little action and movement happening. So every individual has a part to play in decolonization and demanding this change. Because again, it's harming us all. This, this culture of like, who cares about the land? <laughs> Let's profit, profit, profit. Every person for themselves, yeah. hustle, hustle, go, go, go. Nothing's ever good enough. That's what keeps us buying stuff. That's what keeps us not feeling pretty enough, not feeling thin enough, not feeling whatever enough. Um, and that's what keeps the people in power in power, but like power and privilege can be shared and it doesn't have to mean like, I think a lot of um, white people or settler people can get threatened. Like, well, what if the power, what if the power goes too far the other way? Then like, what if we get oppressed? And it's like, nobody is trying to oppress you. We just want what's fair. We just want yeah. what's right. And we can, like the indigenous people are the ones who know how to live in healthy relationship with one another mm. and with the land. And so like, why aren't you listening to those voices and amplifying those voices? And so, yeah, there's a lot of specific, like specifically I work with coaches. Cause like I said, it's overwhelming when you think of all the areas that need to be. Yeah, there are so many, so many. And like you said, it just applies to everyday life and how people yeah. are interacting with their own society and in their own communities, within their school environments and any education, healthcare work, money, who are you investing in and how, yeah. And I think it was really amazing that when, you, when we first got into contact and I was like, hold up, what are you doing? What's going on here? And you were like, oh, well, like not a lot of people actually target the global majority. And I was like, what? Is that even a thing? And it, it actually seemed like it was really weird to me. And I didn't realize that I was the weirdo. And I was like, hang on a second, everyone needs to be weird like me, where they can look at their list on their emails and they can look in their groups and they look on their, their feeds and their social media and wherever else your data collecting from your business and who are purchasing your products and have a look at that and, mm -hmm. and be a weirdo. Be like, hang on a second here something's not really work. This isn't really working out and it doesn't. But for me, I thought that, it was normal. I thought that everybody had communities like mine that are just filled with people from all around the world and that and anyone was welcome and there was Indigenous and there was people that were half here and half there and whatever. That was just normal for my own upbringing and especially and thank you to my parents and I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm deeply honoured that I've had the experience and the white privilege to travel the world and to see these places and to see how people live and like I just I'm putting that call out there to anybody that if you want to be challenged travel if you want to know information ask the experts ask the people that are living in it on a daily basis and and bring unity that's what I wanted to finish up with and say yeah and like traveling but like <sighs> looking look look right under your nose too because this stuff is happening in your own home country too right but so yeah. many people think like I think poverty and like third world conditions and they're like, oh, like Africa. 
right? But yes, and I've been to Africa, yes, true. It's very much a situation there. Um, but also we have third world conditions right here in Canada and I'm sure in Australia too, like among the indigenous communities, like literally my parents who are both like well-educated, my mom is a teacher, my dad was an entrepreneur, like they do well for themselves, but people are always shocked when I share, we've never had clean drinking water in, in their house. They still don't, it's 2022. They don't have safe drinking water. So they've had to buy bottled yeah, so water. Purchasing, they're spending this extra extra and money that could be invested elsewhere or just even to put the actual food on the table or fuel in the car or gas or whatever you call it over there. We call it fuel or petrol. But yeah, <laughs> like it's, it is such a massive, it's a, on a global scale. Like you said, it's literally in our backyards. And one particular thing that I loved that you said was that the prenatal and antenatal care in the midwifery that's available to, and especially in rural communities, that does happen in Australia. Indigenous yeah. women, Aboriginal women and families are significantly disadvantaged in particular in that area. And there's not a lot of education in suburbia where people are just learning all about it. We're not learning all about that. I know that because I have followed an Australian musician that used to live within a community to do education and bless her soul, Missy Higgins. She's one of my favourite artists and she actually decolonised her entire life because she wanted to know more about the land as part of research for one of the albums that she did and it was just a, a passion of hers as well she of course used that in her songwriting but yeah there are people out there that are moving and shaking and that was even probably yeah I don't know how long ago maybe five five to seven years it would have probably been so there, there is information you know yeah yeah and I actually had a songwriter um take my roundtable program too and I, I was like okay like you're not a coach for sure and nice. she got so much out of it and I see her just being such an active like trying her best every day to you know share my work and uplift other voices of global majority and like implementing it even though she's a songwriter a singer like you wouldn't think I don't know is the coaching programs that I do for her but still she applied it to her own life and her own work and it's yeah it's so beautiful Thank you so much for today and for well, for tonight where you are. As everyone knows, this yeah. is an um, international podcast and we're just, you know, getting around here and doing the rounds of some really incredible information that's being shared. And if you can share the podcast, if you know anybody that needs Emily Ann Brandt and her information, she loves to play on Instagram. There's tons of free information. She's always over there just pouring her heart and soul into this business of hers and seeking mentorship and coming up into 2023 she'll continue all of this work and then some so I'm really excited to see where it goes and I'm so grateful that you've been able to open up the conversation on this platform and yeah I'll get a bit teary if I talk about it more it is close to my heart although uh, it, it doesn't really apply to me a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I, I don't understand doesn't apply to me because I am white and that is how I grew up. And although I wasn't advantaged in many ways, I still very much recognize that people of color globally, like you said, the global majority are at a disadvantage based on history. And we're talking just a few decades ago and centuries and more. Yeah. And oh, just to tell you quickly, the global majority term and the statistic, you can Google um, Rosemary Campbell Stevens. She coined that term 
and she has the exact numbers, but it's something Thank close you. to 80% of, of the world's population is like black, brown, Asian, indigenous, Arab, Latinx. And 80%, 80%. More, it's greater than 80%, it's wow. like 81%. And, and so it's funny that we're still always referred to as minorities. Out of <laughs> billions, billions of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. wow. Such an empowering way to reframe and uh, to call ourselves global majority instead of like BIPOC or minorities or people of color. It's like in relation to what, right? People of color compared to whiteness. Why is whiteness the standard measure stick for everything? Yeah. Why are so, we even such a really powerful question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, thank you. Thanks for posting. So lean in, everyone, lean in. Check out Emily and Brent. We're over on the Instagram. This is another beautiful, enlightening, inspiring. I'm just so inspired by everything that's been shared today. And as I said, if you've got any information for me, if you have any reviews that you want to leave or comments and questions, jump in our DMs, share it on all of your platforms. It would be amazing to get this, you know, global majority awareness of what they're dealing with on a daily basis, in particular in business. And I would love it if everybody could, yeah, drop a comment and let us know what you think. What are your thoughts? This is Strategy and Soul with Danica Rose Creative. And thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Take care, guys. See you soon.